0: For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so happy to be here today with Catherine Carruthers. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Kathy. Of course. So before we dig into the conversation, let me first introduce you to Catherine. Catherine is an executive coach known as the success strategist, who is on a mission to maximize the potential of high performers. Catherine's clients are senior and emerging leaders at some of the world's most successful organizations, including Fortune 50 companies, and she helps them navigate major career transitions. Catherine is committed to getting results and even greater success for her clients. She's been identified by Insider as one of the world's most innovative career coaches. And prior to becoming an executive coach, Catherine worked in senior level roles in finance and started and led a consulting practice. So, Catherine, as I just shared, you help leaders navigate career transitions. So, I'd love for listeners to get a sense of your own career journey and the key transitions you yourself have made along the way. So, can you give us a high-level overview of how you went from growing up in Ireland to working in finance in London to now Canada? And uh, what brought you to the work you're doing today?
1: Sure. So we have to go way back to my teens. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to a high school that offered economics as a subject from the age of 14. And I loved it. And so I knew in studying economics that I wanted to go into business in some form. And so I went to university in England to study uh, a business degree, a BBA. And then as part of that, I had an opportunity to do internships and i think that's the one piece of advice i'd have for anyone is to maximize your university experience is get some really relevant work experience that's more important than the grades actually so uh, i always was intrigued by this place called the city of london with a capital c and it's the finance district in london so it's the, the equivalent of wall street in new york and i got an internship there for a summer with merrill lynch the American Investment Bank and, uh, and also did a, a year long internship actually with British Airways at their corporate headquarters near Heathrow and was lucky to um, actually be given an offer to come back to Merrill Lynch after graduation. And so I, the day of my graduation from university uh, was actually my first day on the job training with Merrill Lynch in New York, which was really exciting. And so that was the, that was kind of the start of it. That was, um, I was really excited to get into the world of finance but i'm not i'm not a finance person i'm not a mathematical mind or brain at all um what i'm much more interested in is people and relationships and even marketing and uh those sorts of things and so i kind of carved out um some different roles at merrill lynch and was able to kind of move around every six months as part of this analyst program and try different things and ultimately ended up in the private equity team Uh, and then following the merger of Merrill Lynch and BlackRock I was part of the BlackRock private equity team in London uh, at the age of 25 and then covering a region so working for an American company and then helping to cover Europe, Middle East, Africa and Asia Pacific so that was kind of a big milestone and inflection point for me at 25.
0: Well, one of the things I'm taking away from you explaining that, that arc of that, your career is you're very, you were very attuned to yourself and picking up on those things that were um, calling to you and were interesting to you. And then It seemed like you were really successful at Merrill Lynch and being able to, I guess the term people kind of use now is like job craft and really like align yourself into what are your strengths and where are your interests lying to kind of land yourself in a role um, that gave you this big milestone of kind of running this region. What kind of happened- from there. Yeah.
1: Sure. So, so there was, so I wasn't running it at that age. There was someone I reported to the person that ran the region, um, but was very involved in, um, we kind of split the, we were, we were doing investor relations and, um, and we split the relationships. So for example, I would have responsibility for all relationships in Iceland, um, where, and, and private client relationships in the middle East, whereas my boss, would have um, responsibility for institutional relationships in Europe. And we kind of split it up according to the markets and who, which of us would work best. Would it be the older gentleman with, you know, the sage one with the gray hair or the younger, the younger woman, you know, which, which was the best person to put in front of those audiences. So that's kind of how we split it. Um, And so, and yeah, I, I think I've, I knew, as I said, I knew early on that I wanted to be in business and wanted to try different things. But there's one important part, which is it's all about networking, networking within the organization and finding people. And and I hate to uh, mentor. It's it's mentors without necessarily using that word. But it's people who um, can advocate for you, who can almost the new word is kind of sponsor you and help introduce you to people and help you find out when there's roles inter- available internally. And that's how I moved. It was There was no kind of plan of, well, you're going to do six months here and then you're going to move to there. I worked out with my boss at the time, my very first boss, who was brilliant. Um, and he, he said, I think we need to expose you to these things. And therefore, I'm going to help you and introduce you to the right people and hopefully then they'll take you on. And that all worked out. And the same thing happened then when I moved into the private equity team at BlackRock. I had a friend who was on that team. He knew that there was going to be an opening and he said, you should apply. And I did, and I got that job. And that, and then from there on, things got a little bit crazy because I was covering this huge region, um, traveling more and more. I think that's the, the key in those large corporates is that, if you have a client facing job, the more senior you get, the more you travel actually. And, um, and so I got really good exposure and experiences there. But by the age of 28, I was definitely burning out and started to get some ongoing health issues that we couldn't really get to the bottom of, which I now know to be adrenal actually issues. Um, Whereas at the time we, we knew it was something kidney related. And so At that point, um, I knew that I I needed to make a change um, and that the the pace and the demands just for me weren't sustainable. Um, And as much as I was enjoying the work and being surrounded by and learning from the most, the brightest minds, really incredible people, uh, I just knew that if I wanted to go on and have a marriage and a family, then that, I just, it wasn't the right fit. For me, um, and so at the age of twenty nine, that's when I then left the corporate world and left the UK, actually, and moved to Canada with. Um, and the, that, that was a personally motivated move. It was to join my then boyfriend's uh, now husband, and and then start again. So that was another. I think if you if you look at anyone's career in phases then that was kind of, we're now at the end of one phase getting into another one um, where there's a geographical relocation. um, There's no job and actually no plan. Yeah. And I'm,
0: you know, I'm curious as you described that Catherine, like one of the things I hear sometimes from people in managing their careers is that they have a hard time thinking about how to think about these arcs or stages of their career or even when they're at a later stage in their career when then they when they look back they may say oh, I did something wrong, or I'm, I should have done things differently. Um, and I, I often think, and I'm learning as I work with more people, that really it's our careers are evolutions of both us better understanding ourselves, as well as in sync with our lifestyle or our life stage and what we need at different stages of our lives. So I'm curious in your own experience, or even with working with individuals, how you think about these different arcs of your career and other people's careers, just as you described like kind of your own journey and what's kind of taking you on these different paths.
1: I think the biggest the biggest myth that I try to um, bust with, for want of a better word with my clients is that we think that a career is this linear thing that has a starting point and an end point and it goes in a straight line. And it actually doesn't. There's twists and turns there's zigzags, we jump off the path from time to, we might jump off the path, then we jump back on. And if you look back, even in the last five years of your career or any of your listeners, you or 10 years, you wouldn't even have been able to predict where you would be now. You just wouldn't. Things things change and evolve. And so I what I always say to clients is, don't try to plan too far ahead. Because unless it's something like financial planning, pensions, you know, really long-term stuff. You don't, that that same planning does not apply to your career. And if you get too tied up in um, the longer-term game, then you're it's not tangible enough for you to be able to um, have an action plan to even get there. And so with clients, we actually work on a one-year time horizon. So they'll often come to me and say, well, I want to do this in three to five years. And I'll say, great, but you don't... You, it's not actually probably gonna work out the way that you think. So let's stick to the next year. Let's talk about the next six months, three months, one month. What do you actually wanna achieve or what, where do you wanna be by then? Because those shorter time horizons are much more actionable and tangible. And so we're much more likely to be able to create those results for you. And, and as we go, we're laying the foundation for whatever comes next, but we don't know what that's gonna be yet. We, we can have we can and and then the other part of it is too. We have this tendency as humans to compare ourselves to other people, whether it's colleagues, clients, um, people that we went to school with, and you know we look at where they are now versus where we are. And and I, there's a couple of things there. You know they say com- comparison is the thief of joy, and I totally agree with that. Or another one is compare and despair, because it never goes well. It really doesn't. And so. Again, it's not linear. It's not to say that, well, if, I'm a, if I have a client who's at a certain level of seniority or compensation um, and they feel that their peers are getting ahead of them, that it's not linear. It, you can very quickly climb up that curve in, in one shot. Um, so I think those are the two things that, that come up the most is um, you don't actually need a long-term plan for your career. And just try and avoid the the comparison because it never works in your favor.
0: Mm. Very wise counsel, yeah. And I wanted to also just go back to the point you made about both recognizing you were getting burnt out, also recognizing that the demands of the you know the path you were on and in the role that you were in wasn't going to end up being consistent with kind of perhaps the life you wanted to craft for yourself, and for some people or maybe me, many people, sometimes it's, it's challenging to make these decisions. There's, there's fear around making this decision, these decisions around, say, stepping off a path to better align oneself to their, their ambition in the moment, or what's going to satisfy them holistically between their professional and their personal life. And I'm, I'm curious if you have any tips when you look back on it now, what ended up working for you both in terms of making that decision to kind of step off, but also then also recovering afterwards from that kind of burnout state.
1: Mm -hmm. So I think the key message is here that it always works out and you're, you're actually there's your body will tell you long before your mind is ready to accept that something needs to change or something needs to give that's where pain comes from. You know, whenever you're in pain, you have a sore back, a sore head, whatever, migraines, that's your body telling you that you need to pay attention and that something's gone too far. And so if, if and too often, and I see this with my clients, that that mind body connection is, is severed or they're not aware of it. And so you're going to know. So for me, it actually wasn't a decision. I, It's not a decision that I had to make. I was just paying attention to what was going on and then acting accordingly. And um, and the way it went for me was I knew that my husband was also in a demanding job and that that having two of us in those sorts of roles probably wasn't conducive to a long and healthy, happy marriage and, and then the type of parent that I wanted to be. And so it made sense for me at that point to just think about doing something different. Um, and I didn't have... I didn't have a plan because I was moving to a new country and essentially starting again. And it wasn't actually scary at all. It just felt right. Intuitively. I knew it was the right thing to do. And, and we haven't looked back. Um, And then from there. So I think that's, that's, you just got to go with your gut and the rest will take care of itself. It's when you try to resist what you intuitively know on a deep level that's when you get yourself in trouble that's whenever you that's when you leave one job and you go to another job at a different firm that's the same job or it's a promotion and within six 12 18 months if you're lucky you're in exactly the same position you're feeling burned out you don't know what to do and you feel stuck so it, you just have to break that cycle somehow and and just have faith that it'll work out because you have a track record of making things work That's the thing. If you look back, you, everyone, you have a track record of making it work out. Um, So that's, that's kind of where I started from. And then I think it's when I got to Canada, um, I picked up a little consulting contract and then it turned into another one and another one and another one. And before I knew it, I had this consulting practice and, and that for anyone who's in consulting or a freelancer or any of those types of Types of roles. I, the one thing I'd say to them is, don't worry about where the next client is coming from so much as doing a really, really good job for the client that you have. Because if you do that, they and you know this, Kathy, from your work, they will come back and they will tell you their friends about you. And before you know it, you have this practice or a business. And um, and I once made a flow chart of my consulting practice. Just starting with this one little gig, it was to help project manager website build, which I'd never done before. But anyway, it, that was this whole—it's just a new a new skill that I developed, and and then it just spread like like a spider to all of these other contracts, um, and and then eventually, and then it, I also then was at the point of getting married and having a couple of kids, and as as you say, things evolve consulting at that point was no longer viable or um, for me because I couldn't scale it. It was just me and uh, and so I couldn't it was I was being paid by the R and or by the project. and so I had a baby and a two-year-old and knew that that actually wasn't going to be sustainable either. And then that was so that was probably the third crossroads then of okay, well, here we are consulting is not really where, where I want to be anymore. And so now what? And and that was kind of the next decision point.
0: Yeah. I so appreciate so many of the things that you're sharing, Catherine, from a standpoint of, you know, a paying attention, that's been a theme on the podcast and other people that have shared in the past. And I think is something that's really important is really tuning into oneself and paying attention to what's happening the second is you really saying, like, listening to what's happening in your body, trusting your intuition, those things being really important. I also really appreciate my, my guesses, too, not only in consulting, but also, you know, if, even if you're working at a company, like, focus on doing a really good job, you know, and, and delivering and, like, good things will follow and you'll get those referrals and those recommendations, um, and then the final thing you really shared that really, uh, stands out for me. And I'm so impressed Captain that you kind of pay attention to this yourself over the course of your career as you kind of really were asking yourself at different moments in time, is this sustainable, you know, mm-hmm. or recognizing that it's not, it's unsustainable and then recognizing that was a point in time when you needed to make some shift or some change.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, and this, it does, it changes over time, doesn't it? Um, and this is one of the exercises I do with my clients, actually. We call it must ha- Okay, so as you look forward to your next role, what are your must-haves? Um, what are your nice-to-haves? And what are your deal-breakers? And- because those change, they are going to be different in your mid twenties versus your mid thirties versus your mid forties, mid fifties, and beyond. These things shift, and I think so. You really have to be honest with yourself and ask yourself that question, and even solicit advice and feedback from the people who are important to you. So your your spouse, your kids, whoever else is affected by the work that you do. Um, and so've I have, I have clients who will do this and they'll get the feedback from their family and they sometimes get feedback that they didn't even expect. Um, and so that's it feeds into this question of what does sustainability look like not just for me but for the people who depend on me or the people that are important to me And then again, once you take on board these, this data and pay attention to what your body's already telling you, the path becomes much clearer. And maybe with the help with a coach, you know, someone, someone, someone who's an independent, objective third party who maybe doesn't know you personally and they don't have the biases that that other people have. Um, And then it's so by doing all of that, you do start to get the clarity on a on a problem that can seem very confusing and overwhelming. I I have most of my clients show up and say, I have no idea either. I I have no idea what I want to do or I have too many ideas can you help me figure this out? Um, so that's kind of where, that's where in terms of career, my own career arc, that's where I ended up was um, when I was consulting, what I was most interested in was the client and what makes them tick as a person and what, what distinguishes the client who actually does the things follows through and does the things that they say they want to do versus the ones who say talk the talk and then they don't walk the talk um and and so that's kind of ultimately what led me into coaching and also doing a lot of coaching and personal development on myself um to really get to know myself um and then parlaying this consulting practice and actually even changing the nature of some of the engagements to go from consulting but to coaching you know, some of those same clients. So, uh, so that was kind of the next, I, mean, I know I'm kind of answer, I'm preempting your next question, but that's, that's where, that's where things went from the sustainability part for me. And then also figuring out how do I actually help other people with the same thing? Because ultimately it's what we're all, we're all dealing with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think many people, I hear it as well, come to these moments and times or these, as you call them, professional crossroads and they either are surprised at this coming upon them and it's not uncommon for them to feel like they are unsure of where do I even start? Um, Or I even often hear about people jumping like straight to getting their resume and LinkedIn kind of polished up and kind of seem to not really like go there first because it's a very tangible, actionable thing to go do, Uh, but yet they're not a hundred percent clear on what they really want at this stage Mm -hmm. or this next stage that they're facing. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, as you have experienced for yourself, as well as when you're, you're uh, when you've worked with so many other clients, what should, you know, we talked about paying attention. What should people be paying attention to? Is there anything else beyond kind of, Hey, listen to your body, but like, What should people be looking out for to have a sense of like, hey, there may be a career transition coming Mm -hmm. for you?
1: Well, just to kind of close that point on your body, how do you feel on a Sunday night? How do you feel about the prospect of waking up on a Monday morning and doing that job? Do you get the Sunday scaries? I love that phrase. Do you get the Sunday scaries? This sense of kind of anxiety. Um, If you're getting to the... it's a are you excited? And that's the thing in the brain, excitement and fear are actually so closely connected and sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the two. Um, so pay attention to that. Um, if you're getting to the point where you are feeling sick, I know people who feel physically ill at the thought of going to work the next day, then that's time to pull the shoot. You know, that. that's it. The thing about, when we talk about burnout, burnout isn't something that happens overnight. It's insidious. It creeps up on you. And it can start with maybe sort of minor, you know, low-grade anxiety, but it can also then manifest in major health issues. Um, you know, I've seen people with major anxiety attacks and all sorts of like panic and even things like uh, and physical stuff too. So there, there is that part. So you're going to know, you're going to know from your body, but then you're also going to know how do you feel about your relationships at work? You know, how do you feel, is there a particular person that when you see their number pop up on your phone or you see their email pop up in your inbox that it it causes like a fight or flight reaction in you? If, that, if that's happening, then something, either it needs to be addressed or it needs to change. Um, so it, th- these are the things to look out for. Is your performance slipping? Are you someone who's historically a high performer and all of a sudden your performance falls off a cliff? Or just gradually it does. Then that's something to look at. Why are you not performing at the, the level that you're known for and that you know you're capable of? Is it because you've lost interest in that um, particular role or the responsibilities of that job? Uh, is it because you've been promoted and you you feel like you're not you don't ha- you're not you don't know what you're doing? So it's just it's it's kind of holding a mirror up to yourself and being really honest with what's really going on. And it's not going. It's probably not going to happen. You know, there might not. There, there may be a light bulb moment, but it could take a long time to get there. Um, ask the people around you that they, you might be moody. You might be grumpy. Is, is these are all these are all signs. Often I'll hear people talk about it as they'll come to me and they'll say, "I was in a, I'm in, or I was in a toxic work environment, or I work for a toxic boss." So whenever you start hearing words and language like that. Then, you know, and when I have a client who's in a situation like that, I'll say at the beginning of every session, I'll say to them, how are you? How are you feeling? How are you feeling today? And because I really want to know how bad is it? And, And so I'll say to them, look, if you get to the point where you are feeling ill at the thought of going into work the next day, we need to get an extraction plan and we need to work that plan right away. If you're telling, and even if you feel like you need that paycheck, because hanging in for that paycheck is actually doing harm, um, if you're not at that point yet, then we'll stay there, we'll get our plan together, and we'll we'll, we'll help you leave in a different way. But it's really important to uh, to be really honest and know where you are, if, if you're the one that's experiencing that or where your client is. Um, and, uh, and and they don't have people asking them that question. So be the person that says the things and asks the question that they don't necessarily want to hear, but they need to hear it.
0: Yeah, that's great and sound advice. And, you know, so you... You talked about earlier some tips for people to kind of when they are looking for their next role, both like, hey, don't look look too far out. Let's focus on closer in. What do you want in the next year and what can you do kind of actioning back throughout the year? And then you also talked about let's get clear on kind of your must haves, nice to haves, the deal breakers. I'm curious when you look at career transition if there are either any other high level tips you'd like to share or even common mistakes you suggest people avoid when they're going through a career transition.
1: Yeah. The biggest one. And by the way, here, I'm going to share a resource. There is a brilliant book called pivot by Jenny Blake, who I know, you know, Jenny, Kathy. Yes. Um, Jenny is an amazing lady in New York who wrote this book and, and it's a very simple four stage framework of thinking about career transition. And so she, there's a, there's a book, there's a podcast, there's lots of resources on the website. So um, pivotmethod.com, I believe, I hope I got that right. Um, so take a look there as a starting point, but essentially the, the, the biggest mistake that people make is they know they're not happy with what they're doing. They know it's time for change. And so what they'll go and do is they'll start scanning for opportunities without and, 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 and by that, I mean, they will get on LinkedIn, they will um, update the resume and they'll start usually applying for similar jobs to what they're already in or a promotion or something that looks different. But actually, it's the same. And because we're creatures of habit, we tend to stay in our comfort zone. Um, because it's it's kind of scary to make the big big moves. Which, by the way, when I'm working with clients, the big moves are that's what I love the most. Where there is no clear answer, and actually, what we're doing is creating a role for somebody or starting helping them start a business. I like the real. I love the ambiguity. Um, so, so that that that's the the number one mistake is. Uh, Especially, you know, stay clear of the monster.com, the indeed, these job websites, which is like a black hole for resumes. It goes in and usually nothing comes out the other end and you never hear back. So it's not to say don't use them at all, but have a strategy for that um, before you start. So if that's the mistake that people make, well, then what should they do instead? And it's all, this is all in the pivot book. This is, I think, the best resource for that is. You've got to think about, you've really got to think about who, who am I? What do I want? What's important to me? What's important to the people around me if I have, for example, kids or a spouse or a, an aging parent that needs my support? Um, or so, so think about your values. Think about things have, how things have, may have shifted, what your priorities are, what the, dem- what the other demands on you are from other people. And yourself, what do you want? Um, and really spend, the more time actually, Kathy, that you spend there, the more efficient the rest of the, pro- the process is. And this applies to everyone. This is this is people who are teenagers thinking about what to apply for at college or university. All the way through to, I have clients in their 60s and everything in between um, who are trying to figure out, do I leave the corporate world and start my own business? Or do I figure out a really cool, five-year kind of like five-year retirement plan almost of doing all the things i really love so um so that's just spend some time at the beginning figuring out what's important to you um and how that may have shifted and get your priorities straight first and then the rest will follow
0: Yeah, that's great. I I hear that as well from people that they jump very quickly, as I mentioned earlier. So, yes, I I concur with you there and um, also counsel people. And I will caption the show notes definitely uh, Jenny's book um, around pivot. And, you know, you talked about this earlier too, Catherine and you just alluded to it here. You know, one of the things I want to bring awareness to was sustainable ambition, is that it's not uncommon that our satisfaction and ambition ebbs and flows over time over the or over the decades of our career and you've demonstrated that even with the example of your own career and I'm curious for those you've worked with maybe for high performers in particular do you have any counsel for how they should think about their careers from decade to decade or how they can sustain their ambition over time or any specific advice you might have for people to think about? And you mentioned earlier, like for their twenties, thirties, forties, and beyond.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, stay healthy. Number one, you're, you're nothing without your health. And I'm talking physical, mental, it's all one thing. We, too often we talk, we separate. Well, um, We've all, we all, I think, by the time we get to adulthood and, and especially into adulthood, I think I really believe we've all expe- experienced mental health challenges because it's, if you say you haven't, well, then what have you've never had a cold or you've never had a physical health challenge? So so kind of get your, get your health in check. Make sure that you're really focusing on that because without your health, there is nothing, literally. And so, the, and the other part is your relationships too. Um, your relationship if your, your relationships are stable, um, and, and, and that's not always possible. And so in some cases, you may have to kind of just move on from certain relationships that are not serving you. So um, it's these foundational pieces that really have to be um, in place bef- before you even start to think about the, um, the ambition part, because without those foundations, the ambition is either going to be a big distraction that you can pursue and you have all of this success, but maybe you don't have your health and maybe you don't have the, the healthiest relationships. Um, so these are, it's you're not, you're not probably not going to hear many coaches talking about this, but I think it's really important. So whenever I have a client who comes to me and says, okay, I am, I'm a six, I mean, let's, I mean, I'll use a real world example. Uh, a lady, who is a successful venture capitalist, she's around 50 years old. Um, And she came to me and said, we're going to be fundraising in the fall. Um, Can you please help me? I need to work on my confidence around this fundraise. And I said, okay. And we dug deeper. And actually, there is a confidence concern. And there's there's the whole thing around the imposter, which maybe we can get onto. But what's underpinning the confidence issue actually is – um, that these other pieces that I've just mentioned are not, they're not figured out. And so it, those directly impact your ability to execute and to generate the results. And that's all tied in with ambition. So you can have all of the ambition in you that you want, but you need to be able to back it up um, by doing the right things, being effective, working hard, all of those things. So it's, I, I like to think of, the ambition is a kind of, I see it as a motivator. It's, it's maybe a way, a, a trait to describe someone who's ambitious or motivated. Um, but then there's, a, there's all these other pieces that have to be in place in order to support that ambition and to, to make it sustainable. Um, otherwise, you could end up at the age of 60, maybe two or three marriages in. Um, maybe you don't have a great relationship with your kids. Uh, you might have an alcohol abuse problem. But you've got, you know, you've got all the money uh, and you've got all of these other status markers, but at what cost? And so I think, again, just being really honest with um, how you are going about things and doing it in a way that is effective um, and to use the word again, sustainable, um, is really important. And, And too often we don't think about those things and we especially don't talk about them in a work situation
0: no, I, I so appreciate that you're elevating that, Catherine, and really putting focus there and acknowledging that, that's, that these foundational elements are really critical to be able to have a sustaining career over time. So I, I really appreciate that you're emphasizing, emphasizing that point. Um, and that, you know, when those things aren't in place, I'm taking away that it 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 hinders essentially your ability to really deliver these other things and i think it's one of these things it's becoming you know it's certainly in the it's part of the cultural conversation right now but still often especially in the united states i know you're in canada i don't know if it's the same there but this you know really we talk about self-care, and sometimes that you know language isn't always the best, but it's really more about how do you prioritize and put in these elements of one's life so that you can sustain yourself over time and really show up the way that you want to be showing up. and that's mm-hmm. a bit of what I'm hearing you talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean that the the uh, the lady that I mentioned before, the client she has she has a lot of kids. And she's been very successful. But this is the thing about the American work culture is that her first babies were twins and she she went back to work while her babies were still in the NICU. That's the neonatal intensive care unit. I mean, when I heard that my jaw nearly hit the floor, but then it didn't because we're talking about the states um, where that's a whole other conversation, but I'm quite, um, I have quite strong opinions around that in terms of the leave, um, you know, the big tech companies thinking that they're doing ladies or or people a favor by offering to freeze their eggs and things like that, or how, you know, bring a nanny on a work trip. To me, that's completely back to front. That is if you ever want to talk about a recipe for burnout, it's, it's those things. Um, So yes, definitely. There are definite cultural considerations here. I've worked, Across the world, and I think Europe probably has it has it right. <laughs> um, Canada's better than the U.S., but Canada's kind of in between Europe and the U.S. More like the U.S. Asia is tough, where you have very long working hours as well. So, I think it's important knowing that we are we are all part of different work cultures, whether it's geographical, uh, even individual companies or departments of organizations have their own culture we are we do need to work within the context of those parameters but ultimately you are the you are the only one that matters to you so you've got to find a way to make it work for you and if it's not working where you are then either we find a way to make it work for you there and that's some of the work that i do with clients or and or if we can't get that to work then we need to figure out what your next move is um and because ultimately, my role as the as coach is to serve you, the client, and to hold your interests above all else, um, and to figure out what 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 makes most sense for you versus necessarily what the organization wants. Because we're we're all we're all uh, dispensable ultimately. Yes,
0: very wise to remember that like, you need to be in control of your career as well as, you know, you need to advocate for yourself um, when managing one's career. Um, I also, Catherine, I wanted to come back to you. It started to mention when you were talking about uh, the woman who's a VC and you were talking about, you know, these foundational elements that are important. And you were saying, you know, she'd come to you wanting to focus on confidence. You were saying how these foundational elements were really kind of impacting that. But one of the things that you and I touched on previously when we connected was how it's interesting that even with high performers, imposter syndrome and this kind of concern around confidence comes up. And I'm curious how you might view imposter syndrome. And is there a way that you work with your clients to think about it and kind of, live with it? Because it sort sure seems like it's ever present for many of us and still with high performers as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I love this topic because first of all, we need to shift, we need to shift the conversation a little bit from, I, I don't like imposter syndrome because it sounds like an illness. It's not an illness. It's a phenomenon. If you want to call it imposter phenomenon, it, that's better. <clears throat> so it's something that, we all, we all deal with, um, in, in my experience anecdotally in coaching, it doesn't matter how senior you are, how experienced you are. I have very senior C-suite clients on very high profile boards in the U.S. These are people who are at the top of their game or their industry and they still deal with this. And so if they are, then everybody else is too. There's a gender difference. Um, often. So with women, it will present as um, hesitation, unwillingness to maybe go for the big job that they know they can do, but perhaps they're not quite qualified for. Um, Women tend to step back maybe step into the shadows a little bit to try and deal with it, manage it. With men, what I see more often is overcompensating so perhaps too much confidence um maybe verging on arrogance it just there is there is a clear gender difference in my practice of how this presents every single one of my clients we've talked about this this is something that that this is something that i deal with it's something that they deal with i'm sure it's something that you deal with kathy um, the only one, the, I just think, the only exception that I can think of, of a client who was not dealing with this was a, a gentleman in the States who uh, is highly successful. But the difference with him is that he had a, he almost died in a, in an accident and he spent um, three weeks in a coma oh and with a terrible head injury. and. So he had a life-altering experience. And I believe that is what caused him to feel, if I came through that and I beat that and I'm functioning again and I'm at the top of my game and I can do anything, then I actually do have that inherent confidence. And so he's the only one that I, I haven't seen it actually, but everybody else, it's there. So if that's the case, what do we do about it? Well, we first need to understand what it is. It is. This is just your brain trying to keep you safe. Ultimately, this is um, this is the limbic part of your brain that we share with reptiles. Um, that's constantly looking for threat or perceived threat, and so we are hardwired to for safety. That's what our brain is there is to is to you know help us survive ultimately. And so when we think about that in the context of career. Um, is it scary when there's maybe a potential promotion, another job somewhere else? Yes, that's just your brain doing what it's supposed to do, which is to keep you safe because there's unknowns, there's uncertainty around that. And so the way that I like to deal with it when it pops up for me, and, uh, and this is what I work on with clients too, is to just, first of all, when it pops up, just to kind of say, oh, hi, <laughs> almost have a conversation. There you are. Thank you for keeping me. Thank you for keeping me safe. Um, and I've got this. We've got this, and we're going to go and do it anyway. The worst thing you can do is try to fight it, or ignore it, or squish it, because if you squ- try to squish it, it's going to pop up in different ways. And so to just know that it's there and it's it's like a it's a it's a mechanism that exists to keep you safe, and to acknowledge it and express gratitude for it then it becomes, um, part of your cheerleading internal cheerleading squad. Um, and so it's to give, it's just give yourself a little pep talk. And I had this conversation with a very good friend, um, over the past few days who is, uh, she looks like she's going to be offered an incredibly, uh, good job, high profile position, and she's running into the imposter. And so we had just had a good chat about it. And, and so the last conversation we had was, yep, I know it's there um, and I, I know I can do this. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to live in that discomfort because if I didn't do it, I would regret it. And, and, that, and that's exactly right. So um, it's there. It's, it's your friend. It's not your foe. And you can, you can actually harness it for, for performance and, and results.
0: Yeah. So that's very sage advice. And I, it harkens back to what you shared earlier. It seems too, Catherine, this idea that we know that anxiety or kind of fear and excitement live in the same, you know, kind of space. And so what I hear you describing too, is like really turning that uh, fear or anxiety and really harnessing it, like you're saying, and almost generating more excitement. And I also love what Your friend said, it, I think it is a good advice for all of us to learn how to live in that discomfort and kind of lean into it um, and get more comfortable with the discomfort, I think is really wise. Um, You've shared so many great things with us. I'd love to kind of close up with some rapid fire questions if we could. Um, So just to start, how do you define success for yourself?
1: Success for me at the moment is being able to walk my kids to school and pick my kids up from school.
0: That's great. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self?
1: Oh, God. Um, it's all going to work out. Chill out. How do you like to take a break or pause? Be near water. In it, preferably, once the pools reopen, because we're recording this in COVID. So um, that's where I feel free, is when, I'm in, when I hit the water, that's my, that's my happy place.
0: Mm, that sounds lovely. What's your best time-saving or productivity tip?
1: Well, for me, it's I hired an assistant. That was huge. Um, the other one is just to have three things that you're going to do every day. I have three professional things, three personal things. And those are the first things that I do. The list cannot be longer than three of each. And then making sure that those get done. So to me, it's a rule of three.
0: And what's one thing you can't live without?
1: my husband and kids, (laughs) and reading. Mm. I love books, Mm. especially biographies, which makes sense with the coaching. I love to get into people's brains and minds.
0: Wonderful. Wow. So Catherine, this has been such a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us. And if you would, is there a final piece of advice you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Again, it's the same advice I'd give to my 20-year-old self. It's all going to work out. It's, it's all going to work out. Have faith in yourself, especially when you feel your confidence is shaken. Um, we all go through these dips of confidence, self-esteem. This, this, is, this happens. So just believe in yourself, believe in your track record, And the right people and the right opportunities will pop up for you when you're ready to receive them.
0: Mm, I love that. So, a final thing is where can people find you to get in touch?
1: My website, catherinecaruthers.com, C A T H R Y N C A R R U T H E R S. Uh, LinkedIn is the best social platform. And again, just type in my name, you'll find me there. and yeah, those two spots would be would be your best bet.
0: Perfect. And I will definitely capture those in the show notes, along with uh, Jenny's book that you mentioned earlier. So um, we will have all of that for listeners there. So, Catherine, thank you again for joining me today and for sharing all your insights with my listeners. I really, really appreciate it.
1: You're so welcome, Kathy. And thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the good work that you're doing. We really need this.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.